Welcome into Words with Wallace. I am your host, Nick Wallace. We are coming at you live. Well, not live because I've seen this after the fact. It is Monday, February 13th, one day after the Chiefs-Eagles Super Bowl. What a game that was. And we are here to talk about, you guessed it, NBA trade deadline. That's right. Uh, we are going to be focused mostly on the NBA here on this podcast. I do want to say quickly, I really hate, I really hate that they extended the season uh, for the NFL anyway. I mean, I feel like 16 weeks of regular season NFL football was plenty. And then you have the added consequence where all the Super Bowl storylines and Radio Row and everything like that now conflicts with the NBA trade trade line and all the crazy stuff that happens there, far more dramatic league. Uh, and you run into, to, you know, really situations like what happened last week where you have three of the biggest blockbusters and, well, two of the biggest blockbusters in recent memory in the NBA side of things. Um, and that kind of conflicts with Super Bowl coverage. But anyways, thanks for tuning in to the pilot episode here. Uh, still working out a couple things audio-wise, so if you hear uh, some stuff in the background, I'm about an hour outside of Dallas, if you didn't know, and there's actually uh, people celebrating in the streets, uh, Cowboys fans specifically, as if they won the Super Bowl uh, because the Eagles lost. Um, I've been told Cowboys fans haven't won in a while, so uh, I guess we'll let them have their fun. So just try to ignore the background noise. We're still working out some technical things here. But uh, wanted to jump right in and, and kind of go over uh, the trade deadline and my immediate reaction on some of the biggest moves. We won't get into all of it. I know there were a bunch of deals made, but wanted to focus on three deals specifically. Um, those being the trade between the Mets, uh, the Mavs, and the Nets that traded away uh, Kyrie Irving away from Brooklyn over to Dallas. Uh, the trade uh, with the Suns, Nets, and then of course the Pacers and Bucks. Kind of a weird footnote that they were involved as well. But of course the, the Kevin Durant trade is the second deal that we're going to talk about. Durant going from Brooklyn over to Phoenix. And then, of course, uh, the last deal I wanted to talk about wasn't as, as big ticket, but I, I thought the Lakers-Wolves-Jazz trade uh, that sent D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers was pretty interesting as well. So we'll go through all of that, and let me start off by talking about the Mavs trade um, and Kyrie Irving and, and my thoughts on that. So uh, most of you guys know me, I would imagine, uh, and you know I'm a Celtics fan, so I have some scars. There's certainly some scars uh, that Kyrie left being a Celtics fan. And so let me just start off with the positive so I don't come across as too much of a Mavs hater. If you are a fan of the Dallas Mavericks, you have reasons to be excited. First of all, and, and if you're just a, a basketball fan in general, he's Kyrie Irving is so fun to watch when he's right. That is, um, you know, he is truly one of the most talented scorers of all time. I think the best ball handler of all time. If you were to say, you know, see a headline that player X scored 60 points last night, I feel like you'd be most excited if you found out that was Kyrie. He's probably one or two on that list of uh, most fun highlight reel behind Steph, in my opinion. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And the Mavericks offense immediately takes a massive jump. And let me backtrack a little bit and go into the details of the trade. Um, for those that don't know, the Nets traded away Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris. Um, and the Mavericks uh, traded away. So the Nets received uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 29, uh, 29 unprotected first-round pick, and two second-round picks. So uh, at, at its core, it's, it's really uh, Kyrie going to Dallas in exchange for two really important role players that we'll get into in a little bit, uh, as well as two future, uh, as well as a first-round pick and two future seconds. And so um, I feel like, you know, from the Mavericks' perspective, Above all else, you're, you're getting Kyrie right. And it, it fits the narrative that all season long we've been hearing Luka needs a co-star. Luka needs a co-star. That 
Mavericks roster is so devoid of talent. Um, and those things are true. Let me let me start off by saying that, that those things are absolutely true. Um, and of course, credit to Nico Harrison for recognizing, um, and I think most people would recognize this, but the Mavericks are not particularly close to winning a title, despite the fact that they have, in my opinion, the second best player in the world in Luka Doncic. And so, you know, they had some more urgency. A lot of people would be complacent and say, you know, Luka's under contract for several more years. You know, he's young. But as we know in the NBA, it's only a matter of time before stars become disgruntled, especially at the caliber of Luka. You have to consider keeping him happy at all times. That is your priority as a franchise when you have a player that special. And Kyrie, for all how talented he is and all the good stuff that I just talked about, it is a three-month rental of the most unpredictable player in the NBA. And unpredictable, unreliable, however you want to phrase it, I think Kyrie fits that. Um, look, he's an incredible player. I'm a, I'm a fan of his game personally, but he played 48% of his games with the Nets. He played in 143 out of a possible 296 games just in his tenure with the Nets. And I won't even get into all the stuff that happened with the Celtics and him, you know, having a commercial of how we, I see, I'm already, I'm already going down there. I won't go down that road, but, uh, I digress again, you know, the backup plan that a lot of people said for the Dallas Mavericks is, you know, they acknowledge that it's a three month rental of Kyrie Irving and that he is of course going to be a free agent after the remainder, uh, after the conclusion of this season. Um, so, you know, they have a chance to re-sign him. But something that I often heard in, in media circuits and coming from the, the Mavericks front office was that, hey, well, if things don't work out, we have a lot of cap space. Remind me what Dallas has done with cap space in the past, you know, despite the no income tax and uh, you know, decent weather out here in Dallas, I suppose. Um, you know, what is drawing people to play in Dallas? You know, Luka Doncic is an incredible player, but it remains to be seen it because he is so heliocentric, because the offense so revolves around him. I don't know if it's something where it, it remains to be seen if people are going to go out of their way to want to play with Luka. It's obvious that if people want to win a championship, they'll have a chance being alongside Luka. But falling back on cap space in an overall really weak free agent class seems like a bit of a cop-out. You know, and, and again, my issue is not in, in taking that risk, but it's really a matter of, of a mix of what you're giving away and most importantly, again, keeping Luka Doncic happy. The only time Dallas gets mentioned in, you know, before this trade anyway, the only time that Dallas was mentioned in national media headlines is when Luka did something ridiculous. If he scored 60 points, if he had some insane triple-double, if he had a buzzer beater. Besides that, they're relatively under the radar for a team that made it to the Western Conference Finals just a couple months ago. Um, and now you're opening up the door to the whole Kyrie Irving saga, where he can is so unpredictable in terms of what he's going to say to the media, in terms of what's going to make him happy. Um, I think it's just a really bad bet for a team that your number one priority is keeping Luka Doncic happy because I don't see them winning a championship with this trade. And that's easy to say. There's 29 teams that aren't going to win a championship each and every year. So it's pretty easy for me to say, oh, the Mavericks aren't going to win it. But I don't think this makes them a, a true championship contender, um, mainly because there's two sides of the court. You know, you give away Dorian Finney-Smith, who I truly believe is an elite 3 and D option, a fantastic role, role player, uh, a beloved teammate. And you give away Spencer Dinwiddie, who I'm not the biggest fan of personally, but certainly revived his career in Dallas uh, and certainly, you know, provided some ball handling, provided some, you know, a little bit more playmaking than virtually anyone else on the Mavericks roster. So they're going to feel that they are giving away two starters and they're giving away a 2029 uh, unprotected first round pick. So, you know, with that, I just feel like you're giving up a little bit too much to just be like, oh, well, if it doesn't go right, we have the cap space. You know, again, it's so difficult to predict what Kyrie Irving is going to do. He's 
you know, if it didn't work out for him being with his best friend and Kevin Durant in Brooklyn and, and virtually having, you know, having a lot of say in, in what goes on in that organization and, and for him to just up and uproot himself and demand a trade a week before the deadline, um, it, it is impossible to say that things are going to go, you, you know how they're going to go. And so with that, it, it's certainly a risk. I just don't think that Kyrie is somebody you want to get into business with if you have Luka Doncic and your, and your primary concern is keeping him happy. Um, ultimately, if, if it got them to the point where I was like, hey, they're really close and, and they might be able to win a title this year if they bring on Kyrie. I personally don't think that, that they're that 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 they are that close. Um, so I do not believe that that trade makes sense from the Mavericks perspective, but we will see it'll, you know, this trade, you're not going to be able to evaluate it. We were a couple games in now just to be transparent and Kyrie's played pretty awesome. I understand that. Um, we're not going to be able to truly evaluate this trade until the off season, to, excuse me, until we find out what Kyrie Irving does. Um, because if it's a three month rental, it's not going to work out. It's not going to be in favor of the Mavericks, but if you resign him or you do a sign and trade, this could work out for the Mavericks and I'll be eating my words a little bit. So with that, um, you know, the Nets receiving in that deal, just to kind of touch on that a little bit. Again, I mentioned before Dorian Finney Smith, uh, great three and D player, beloved teammate, and also close friend of Luka Doncic, which is again, uh, you're going, you're trading away Luka's best friend. You're bringing back Kyrie. That trade's going to work out for you, man. Uh, and then you get, you know, the Nets are also receiving Spencer Dinwiddie, a 2029 unprotected first round pick. Uh, I heard some Mavericks fans mention that's a seventh grader currently, you know, fun fact. I know he's a couple years removed from nap time, but um, obviously we know how much value 2029 first round picks or first round picks in general, especially unprotected have in this league. So um, that is a pretty substantial asset to give away there. Um, so anyway, we'll get on the, we'll touch more on the Nets in a little bit, but one, one thing I did see on this trade um, you know, Kyrie's played awesome the past couple games. I've mentioned that. And I saw a quote from Nico Harrison, uh, former Nike executive and current general manager of the Dallas Mavericks that I thought was really interested. Uh, and he said, and I quote, this quote came out today on, on February 13th. He said, I don't see any risk at all. Uh, and the question was directed toward trading for Kyrie Irving. He doesn't see any risk at all uh, in trading for Kyrie Irving. And, at, you know, I did a complete 180 on this when I, when I saw this, because initially I was like, Man, that guy's loaded. I really hope he doesn't manage his own money because clearly he's not great at identifying risk because I don't think that there's anyone riskier you can bring into your building besides Kyrie Irving. But, you know, upon further review of, of looking into this quote a little bit more, um, he's just he's saying all the right things, man. That's, that's what it comes down to. He's in full-time Kyrie management mode. Keep Kyrie happy. Keep the, the feedback around Kyrie positive. Uh, and that's what you have to do. It becomes a part of your full-time job. Just like I said, your full-time job should be keeping Luca happy. Well, it's keeping now it's also keeping all the negative storylines that come with having Kyrie Irving on your team to a minimum. So uh, I thought that quote was fun. Um, it, it really pissed me off when I saw it at first. And then I was like, nah, he's just he's saying the right thing. So uh, kind of take that for what it is. But hard pivot here into the Suns-Nets trade um, with a little footnote of the Bucks and Pacers being involved in that as well and giving my thoughts. So... Um, for those that didn't know, the Suns received Kevin Durant and TJ Warren from the, or excuse me, the Nets received, sorry, no, the Suns received, um, Kevin Durant and TJ Warren from the Brooklyn Nets, um, while the Nets received Mikal Bridges, Cam Johnson, uh, Juan Pablo, I don't know, man, I've never heard of this guy in my life, but, uh, uh, some guy that was on the bottom of the roster, I suppose, uh, but most importantly, four first-round picks, a first-round pick swap, and two second-round picks uh, swaps as well. And so what does that come down to? Well, it comes down to Kevin Durant, TJ Warren, uh, in exchange for two really elite role players, I would argue, and a shitload of first-round picks. And so um, I think this deal makes total sense. And I think, 
you know, kind of zooming out. And I think this is an important time to kind of focus on where the Nets were just a couple weeks ago, you know, a, a few weeks or maybe a little over a month ago. Now, I think there were a couple games behind the Celtics from, from being the one seed in the East. I think they were sitting at the two seed. They looked incredible. Um, and I don't want to get into this too much, but you know, people are going to make fun of the Nets inevitably for having a superstar roster that was loaded with Kyrie Irving, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden at a time. Um, and they didn't do anything with it, but, and people are going to make fun of them for it, and I get it, and it's somewhat deserving. But if you're a Nets fan, you're just so frustrated because you never really saw them at full strength. Like, I suppose, you know, the, the playoff series against Boston, but, you know, you still had you know, had Kyrie in and out. There wasn't much continuity with this roster, and it felt like we were finally going to see it this season because the one stretch where all those guys were there and everyone was healthy you know, they, went, they ripped off, you know, a winning streak and maybe, or at least a stretch of games where, you know, they were easily the best, the hottest team in the league for a time there where they were really on Boston's heels. And it's amazing how quickly things change in this league where now these guys these have a collection of role players and, you know, they're still in the playoff spot with roughly a 10-game cushion. So we'll see if they can sneak in. I, I think they'll certainly be in the play-in tournament at least. But it's amazing how quickly these things change. And I think it just has to drive you nuts as a Nets fan that, all that bullshit that you dealt with from these guys time and time again, you know, it, it was a four year stretch, which is pretty wild of having Kyrie and, and Durant and really nothing to show for. But I think just the frustrating thing is seeing these guys jump ship this season, especially when there was so much optimism. Like again, personally, I still would imagine that they'd have a hard time dealing with, with Milwaukee or Boston coming out of the East, but uh, it is really unbelievable to see where they're at now compared to where they were just a few weeks ago. And so, you know, with that, taking a look at the deal, you know, the Kyrie deal happens first. That's the first domino. He demands to leave. Um, and Brooklyn's kind of scrambling before the deadline. There's a lot of talk. Well, you know, they still have Kevin Durant. They still have a decent collection of role players. You know, what's going on with Ben Simmons? Um, so it was interesting to see whether they – I personally thought that they were going to wait until the offseason to move Durant or kind of see how that plays out. But at this point, man, they've been screwed over by – you know, mostly Kyrie, but somewhat Durant as well and all this. And I understand them wanting to get out of the business because, you know, if Durant, even if he's happy right now, the chances are he's probably going to be frustrated as well before the season ends. And so I respect them getting in front of that. And I think they got a great package from Phoenix. Um, and so, again, they received Mikhail Bridges. Uh, you know, I mentioned Dorian Finney-Smith is an, a great 3 and D player. You know, Mikhail Bridges is definitely... Uh, more elite. I think he's a bit more of a playmaker, um, can create more of his offense at times and just kind of does everything Dorian Finney-Smith does at a higher level and is certainly a bit younger as well. Um, Cam Johnson, great three-point shooter and great size on him as well, can play the wing position and, um, you know, sort of act as a big guard for that team. Uh, it's interesting how many wings the Nets have at this time. It's probably a bit much, but again, the kicker for that deal is the four first-round picks, another first-round pick swap, a couple more seconds. That's the price you pay. Again, you compare that hand-in-hand at the Rudy Gobert deal between uh, Utah and Minnesota in the summer, and you realize that, you know, I think that Phoenix definitely gave a bigger package for Durant, but you compare it to that deal, you understand now the price of what a superstar costs in this league, and I think the Nets, you know, given the situation that they were in, you, you take you look at both deals in totality, and I think that they did a great job with it for what it's worth. You know, they have a great rebuild. They have a collection of role players. You know, you build around Mikal Bridges for now. Um, you know, you just hope that this becomes a, a, a total rehabilitation project for Ben Simmons and that he can get his confidence now that he's out of the shadow of those other superstars. And, um, you know, early returns look like he's been pretty doing pretty well so far. Just in, in you know, I think he had a good game the other night. So, um, with that, 
let's focus on Phoenix a little bit. And, you know, despite how much they gave up, you do that deal every time, man. Uh, it really felt like Phoenix was starting to get written off in terms of, you know, maybe this window was coming to a close. You know, it was unbelievable watching Chris Paul. I want to say he's 37 or 38 now, um, you know, where he was last year. And people are like, man, he's not aging at all. Like, he's aging like a fine wine. And the, and the Suns were dominant during the regular season again. But this year was different. And you could see that, you know, Chris Paul was starting to show his age a little bit. Um, certainly in the stretch without Booker, which, you know, a lot of the offense was put on him, which is difficult to ask. And people were really starting to write them off. I mean, they went from being one of the top seeds in the West earlier in the season. I want to say they were the top seed for a period of time, along with New Orleans when they were doing well. Um, since then, the, the Suns have fallen quite a bit, and a lot of people were starting to write them off. So for them to immediately reassert themselves is, I would say, um, you know, possibly the favorite to come out of the West with the recent injury to Steph Curry in Golden State. Um, you do that deal 10 times out of 10, man. Their window is now, um, and even if this doesn't go well, you know, with Kevin Durant having him, um, you know, he's obviously getting up there in age a little bit. He's had his own injury problems. We all know about the Chris Paul, his age and injury shortcomings, especially in the postseason. Um, but for them to go out and get Kevin Durant and immediately make themselves a title contender, um, and again, they get TJ Warren, who's a solid bench piece back as well, and, and you don't immediately feel the loss of, you know, trading away essentially two starters and two really great wings um, to get a little something extra back in TJ Warren for what he can give you. I really like what Phoenix did, man. You know, you take that risk. These windows in the NBA are so short. Even if you have guys under contract, it's only a matter of time before these superstars get pissed off um, and decide to take their talents elsewhere. Um, so I really like it for, from Phoenix as well. So what an exciting trade deadline that was, um, mainly with those two moves. And a little footnote on this deal as well. I keep I keep forgetting that Indiana and Milwaukee was were involved in these deals, but I do think it's worth noting. I mean, the Pacers got a bunch of buyout guys in receiving George Hill, Serge Ibaka, Jordan Nwora. Uh, Jordan Nwora is on the younger side. I don't think he's going anywhere. But uh, in three second round picks, while the Bucks also received Jay Crowder in this deal. Uh, for those that weren't keeping up to date, that was probably the longest holdout for a replacement level NBA player that I've ever seen. He was unhappy with his role in Phoenix. Um, you know, he's a solid player. You know, he's been in a lot of playoff games. He's a good defender. Um, you know, the outside shooting can be spotty at times. You know, I think he certainly sounds a lot better on a roster than what he can actually provide for you. Um, but I think it was just fascinating that he requested a, tra a trade from Phoenix that in theory was a title contender all season. And the difficult thing about trading him is like, well, you're only going to trade him to another title contender. And so you're just kind of looking around at your peers and you're trying to find a guy who um, is another win now player, maybe on the on the back half of his career like Jay Crowder. And so you don't often see those deals. You often would see Jay Crowder get traded to a contending team away from a rebuilding team. And, and it's, it's a little bit more synergy with potential deals. And so it was interesting to see that finally come to an end and he gets his, his wish. He ends up in Milwaukee with a true a true contender and, and maybe even a title favorite. It's, it's hard to bet against Giannis. But uh, I do really like the pickup from Milwaukee there. You know, I think we felt it in the Celtics series. You know, we had Wes Matthews for a stretch of time guarding Jason Tatum. Um, certainly in the absence of, of Chris Middleton, it was heightened their their lack of, of depth there. Um, but I think Milwaukee really did a great job of retooling. You know, now they have a health, healthy Chris Middleton. They have a health, uh, Joe Ingles is healthy for now and is obviously a big pickup who's uh, provided a great, you know, offensive threat to them off the bench recently. Uh, and then you add in Jay Crowder to that mix. I really like what, you know, Milwaukee being a sneaky footnote in this deal, I think is fun um, in them being a true a true contender as well. So I wanted to mention that. And Indiana, 
man, you crushed the draft. And so you, you got a couple second round picks and a couple buyout guys and maybe Jordan Nora sticks around there for a little bit. So with that, the last deal that I wanted to talk about here is a three team deal between the Lakers, the Timberwolves and the Jazz. Uh, the Lakers finally <laughs> rid, them th- rid themselves of Russell Westbrook um, and they received uh, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley and Jared Van- Vanderbilt. Um, the Wolves received Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander Walker, two second round picks and a second round pick swap. And the Jazz received um, Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano Anderson, Jamie Jones, and most importantly, a top five protected uh, 2020. I want to say that's the 27 first round pick of the Lakers. Um, it was a protected pick. So I think the assistant GM helped out Palinka and was like, hey, buddy, here's how you protect a pick. Uh, so it is top five protected. So I guess that somewhat neutralizes the level of disaster that we could look back on that deal and see. But um, anyway, back to the deal. I really want to focus on the Lakers here because Wolves fans, roll Wolves, love you. I'm a Timberwolf forever. Uh, used to work for the franchise for those that didn't know. Uh, I want to talk about the Lakers first because I feel like they're a bit closer to winning a title than the Wolves, and that might be a bit controversial. But uh, I really like this move for the Lakers. I really do. Um, you know, I think it's it's at addition by subtraction or, or however that phrase goes, mainly because you rid yourself of Russell Westbrook. And, you know, at your core, you're taking Russell Westbrook and replacing him with D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, you're adding in Malik Beasley. You're adding in Jared Vanderbilt. But just focusing on D'Angelo Russell and, and Russell Westbrook for a second, I'm personally not a big D'Lo guy. I really, you know, felt like he was frustrating to watch in Minnesota for a lot of things. He's been shooting the hell out of the ball. Um, and he's been playing really well in the past couple months just really because he's been hot. But he's kind of frustrating to watch because he plays so slow. Uh, and I think his decision-making at the end of times is questionable. But Lakers fans, stop me uh, if you've heard that before with you know questionable decision-making late in games from your point guard. No matter what it is, it's going to be better than what they had with Russell Westbrook. That is, with 100% certainty, I say that simply because D'Angelo Russell provides floor spacing. And I, you know, LeBron's gotten so much fanfare and so many flowers over the course of the past couple of weeks, and rightfully so for, for becoming the NBA's all-time leading scorer. That's quite the achievement. Um, but at its core, it's like, look, man, I still believe in LeBron-led teams. Anthony Davis, if he's healthy, uh, is incredible and, and could even be a top 10 player in this league when he's healthy. And so, but at its core, with just focusing on LeBron for a sec, you know, he just needs shooters around him. Like, and Anthony Davis, the jump shot has been pretty unreliable. Uh, even this season when he was playing really well, um, he wasn't shooting it at a great clip. And so um, just getting as much shooting around those guys as possible is going to put you in a situation where you can close games and win games, uh, you know, depending on how well LeBron and Anthony Davis play. And so uh, I believe that just D'Angelo Russell, by his ability to space the floor and shoot the ball at a higher clip than Westbrook, you know, there's still going to be questions about things on the defensive end of the court. He's not going to bring nearly as much effort as Westbrook did. No one will ever take that away from him. But you add in D'Angelo Russell, you add in Malik Beasley, and then you add in a really great defender who's who's young, which is kind of exciting. Uh, you know, one of the youngest players in the Lakers, I want to say, or certainly one of the youngest players in their rotation is going to be Jared Vanderbilt. And I think he, you know, hopefully with all the effort and energy he brings on the defensive side of the floor, uh, I think that he could hopefully be a guy that takes a little bit of the defensive burden off the back of Anthony Davis and can match up against some of the other team's best bigs. Uh, and I think down the stretch, you know, I think they got a lot better. And so uh, they obviously gave up one of the two coveted first-round picks that they still have possession of. Uh, but I think it was worth it for what they did, man. Like, that window was closing. You know, they were a team that I wanted to see and go out and get a Kyrie Irving because 
LeBron is, what, 38 or whatever. I can't keep track these days. Davis is into his 30s, but I swear to God, he's got 50-year-old man knees. Um, so their window is closing. Like, there is a true sense of urgency that if things don't go ha- like happen well, like LeBron's already planting seeds in his post-game interview after breaking the record that he can play for any franchise or whatever. Like, again, we know how quickly things changes, and the Lakers are in win-now mode. Now, does this make them a favorite, or, or does this even guarantee them a spot in the actual playoffs and, and, and not in the playing game? No. But I think I, I do think that they could, you know, no one wants to run into this team as currently constructed in the first round of the playoffs. I promise you that. Um, and I really like what the Lakers did here. In, in some separate deals, they brought in Mo Bamba. They, they kind of swapped out. Uh, they lost Thomas Bryant in a separate deal as well. So Bamba's essentially the Thomas Bryant replacement. I, I think that's kind of a net neutral. They brought in David Reed. They brought in Rui, Rui Hachimura. Um, who provides you know some solid shooting on the wings and a little bit more uh, youth and athleticism as well. So I really like the Lakers' trade deadline. I was pretty shocked to see that. I feel like they've been stuck in no man's land for quite a bit here. So uh, I love what they did on that, that deal. And so kind of pivoting over to the Wolves here. And so I really like it from their side too, man. I As I was saying, I didn't love the fit uh, of D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, again, you know, he was shooting the ball really well in Minneapolis, or in Minnesota, rather. Um, and so he's been playing well the past couple months. But I think that team needs another veteran. Um, you know, Austin Rivers is like 30 years old and is the oldest guy on the roster. Um, and he, you know, is solid in that regard. But it's like you have a young team. Anthony Edwards is awesome. He's a joy to watch. He's a joy to listen to if you ever caught any of his interviews. So being able to pair him somebody that's a little bit more battle-tested in Mike Conley and, you know, I think it's, it's going to be great for his development. I think it's going to be great for Carl Anthony Towns. Um, somebody that's been in more, a little bit more playoff battles. And most importantly, and the real reason they did this, is to make their Rudy Gobert investment look a little bit less embarrassing. I mean, they totally broke the bank for Rudy Gobert, which was a dog shit trade when it happened. Uh, it looks even worse now with the emergence of Walker, Walker Kessler in Utah. Uh, that being said, Danny Ainge spun the block <laughs> on, on the Wolves, and he's like, screw it, let's go back and do another deal with them. I can't believe the Wolves actually went through with it. But, hey, they brought in Mike Conley mainly and above all else to get Rudy Gobert more involved. Uh, Mike Conley did a great job establishing a relationship and a chemistry with Rudy in Utah. He was seemingly the only person that wanted to pass the ball to Rudy Gobert. I don't know if giving Rudy Gobert more touches is the best way to actually make your team better, but it keeps Rudy Gobert happier. It keeps him more engaged. I'm so tired of seeing him clap for the ball and look like a wacky waving inflatable tube man in the lane when he doesn't get a pass, like he's some sort of offensive threat, like he doesn't just catch and dunk every time. Uh, That's neither here nor there, but again, Conley, I think he's a better fit for the Wolves. They get a little bit more veteran leadership. They gave up D'Angelo Russell, but I think that's, you know, um, something that's worthwhile with what they return. And, you know, maybe they can get a little bit more depth out of Nikhil Alexander-Walker as well. Uh, I know the Pelicans were hyping him up quite a bit a couple years ago. Uh, and then finally taking a look at the Jazz. And at first, you know, they, they inherited Westbrook's contract in exchange for giving up, you know, giving up Malik Beasley, giving up Mike Conley, giving up Jared Vanderbilt. And their return was Russell Westbrook. We know what he does to a team. I think he's a really, like, I think he's a buyout guy at this point. I don't know if he's been bought out yet, but he probably will be soon. So there's really no point in analyzing, you know, what his role is going to be with the Jazz. Um, And then you get Juan Toscano Anderson, you know, maybe a rotation piece there along with Damian Jones. Um, And you get that first-round pick. I mean, you're really at your core. You're getting a first-round pick from the Lakers in 2027 that's top five protected in exchange from Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Mike Conley. 
you know, at first I was looking at this deal. I was like, damn, Trader Danny did it again. He made a huge splash in the offseason, obviously, with the Gobert and Mitchell deals. I think he did incredible. And it's so, it's just sick that they even have an all-star in Lori Marketing. Like, what an absolute treat on top of, in what should have been a total loss season. You know, people have them penciled in as a favorite to get Wembenyama and be the top pick in this year's draft. And here they are being super competitive in the West. Um, obviously, this was an intentional way to make their roster worse by giving up three, you know, really solid rotation players in exchange for, you know, lesser rotation players and getting that pick back. So it makes it worse this year, which increases their draft position. Um, but I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I thought it would be a little bit more for giving up Jared Vanderbilt. He was a very hyped up player, mainly by Wolves fans. Um, Malik Beasley and Mike Conley. It's like you get one first for that. I know it's a Lakers first round pick and, you know, on the disaster scale, you know, they, they're pretty high up in terms of a risk of it being a total disaster and, and everybody jumps ship. Um, in short order, so I suppose it's a pretty valuable first-round pick. But, I, again, I still like it for the Jazz. I think it makes total sense with their timeline. If there's anybody that's in touch with that, it, it's going to be Danny Ainge. Um, you know, he's done an incredible job there in Utah. And so uh, I just thought that they might get a little bit more. So um, I liked it a little bit more the first time I saw it. This time I'm not as high on it. But uh, overall, I think that was a really fascinating deal. And one of the reasons I wanted to touch upon it is because I really do like all sides of it. I think it makes sense all the way around. Um, and I'm hoping, I think the league is a lot more fun when the Lakers are good. I know that that might not uh, be a popular opinion coming from a Celtics fan here, but I'd like to see the Lakers be a little bit more competitive and, and maximize, you know, the, the potentially the final chapter in LeBron's career. Uh, you know, love the Wolves, hope they can continue to improve. Um, and the Jazz, it's been a fun ride, but we're going to start seeing them creep down the standings pretty soon. So uh, with that, that's probably all I got for right now. I think that's all I got for the first episode uh, you know, looking ahead, I'm going to try to get you guys these episodes once a week. Uh, I'm certainly going to try to bring on a collection of guests that I've met, either, you know, some of my personal friends, um, you know, some connections I have across a couple different NBA franchises that I'll be looking to connect with in short order here to get their thoughts and their respective teams. Um, so we will have, you know, some other guests. You won't be stuck listening to me rant. Um, but I think that's about it, man. Definitely do me a favor. Let me know what you think. Let me know how, how trash this first episode was. Um, feel free to hit me up. If you're watching this, you know where to find me. Um, but do me a favor, follow the podcast. It's going to be words with Wallace at words with Wallace on essentially everything. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple music, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, be sure to, you know, follow the podcast, you know, give it a share. Uh, let me know what you think. And I should be back next week. Um, going over, I'm still one of the only nerds on the planet that really gives a shit about the all-star game. Uh, I can't wait for the dunk contest to be watching it with some of my good friends. So I'm excited for that. Um, excited to, you know, if it is worth talking about anyway, in terms of the dunk contest, you know, all-star Saturday night as a whole and the all-star game. Um, I still care about that stuff. So I'll probably do a quick pod giving my thoughts on that. And if not, then we'll look ahead to kind of two-thirds of the way through the season, a checkpoint of where we're at with contenders, pretenders, um, and just kind of power ranking the remaining uh, teams in the league. So with that, I'm going to hit this button, get up out of here. Uh, but thank you guys for watching, and I'll talk to you guys soon.